Welcome to the month of November. There will surely be lots of details vying for our attention during these weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. And it's our goal here on Encounter God's Truth to spend this month viewing Christ in the Scriptures. That will be our theme as our Bible teacher, Dr. John Whitcomb, takes us on a survey of the Old Testament based on the discussion in Luke chapter 24. This is one of Dr. Whitcomb's favorite passages. It comes from Luke's description of events surrounding the resurrection of Christ. The risen Lord Jesus conversed with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, explaining the true meaning of the scriptures from Moses' writings all the way through the prophets at the close of the Old Testament. I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host, inviting you to open your Bible now and stay with us for this lesson called The First Gospel. The wonderful 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the beloved physician who stayed with Paul until his final hours on this earth, according to the last letter that he wrote to Timothy, only Luke is with me. So Luke was with him from time to time throughout his travels and his career and was a marvelous historian, accurate to the, I, the smallest details. And in this final chapter of his wonderful gospel, he tells us about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, amazingly, it was to the women that uh, the angels first appeared and Jesus Uh, A humble group of people, just like when Jesus arrived on this planet, it was the shepherds that were told that he was born in Bethlehem. So, friends, it's not the high and mighty people of the world that God speaks to. It's the humble people who are open to his message and are willing to share. So we read in Luke chapter 23, verse 55, the women who had come with him, with Jesus out of Galilee, followed after and saw the tomb and how the body was laid. They saw where Jesus was buried by Joseph of Arimathea in his private tomb. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath day, that Saturday, they rested according to the commandment. But the first day of the week, that Sunday morning, praise God, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Amazing. Now think of that uh, stone that blocked the tomb that the soldiers had put there and sealed with the official government seal that no one would break in and take that, steal that body. The guards were gone. The stone had been rolled away, not to let Jesus out, trust me, because he went right through the stone in his glorified body, just like John tells us later. He went through the door that was shut in the upper room to appear before those astonished apostles with a new form of body, a glorified body that was not limited by space and time and matter as it as ours is today. So they went into this empty tomb and the body was gone. But all of a sudden, verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. Now these two men turned out to be angels looking like humans. And that had happened many times in the Old Testament, as you know, like Jesus appeared with two angels to Abraham and Sarah back in the book of Genesis. And they made an amazing announcement. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. And these men, these angels said to them, Why do you seek the living one, that's Jesus now, the living one, among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? And we look back in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 22, chapter 9, verse 44, 
chapter 18, verse 31, over and over, Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be betrayed, I'll be crucified, I will rise again the third day. Over and over he had told them, saying, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. But of course, all those statements Jesus made fell on deaf ears. And many times, even today, we don't understand why he came into the world in the first place. It wasn't to be admired, appreciated, praised, honored. It was to place himself upon that middle cross as a substitute for our sin, that his righteousness might be imputed to us in the grace of God forever. So they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven, that's the eleven apostles, you remember Judas is gone now, and to all the rest, other disciples too, heard them report. Now here they're named Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, telling these things to the apostles. Are you surprised to hear what happened next? These words appeared to them as nonsense. The apostles wouldn't believe them. Of course, in those days, we understand that the testimony of a woman was less authoritative than the testimony of a man. But nevertheless, we read in the Gospel of John that two of those apostles took this seriously and dashed to the tomb, namely Peter and John, and found not only was the tomb empty, but the grave clothes that had been carefully wrapped around the body of Jesus were there right in place as they had been. No robber would have done that. That the, Jesus simply vanished through the grave clothes, through that stone that blocked the tomb, and appeared in the upper room, as John tells us in his gospel. So the resurrection body of Jesus was a marvelous, marvelous provision of God for our hope of resurrection, that we might someday be like him when we see him as he is. Now, beginning in verse 13 of Luke 24, is what one theologian calls a literary and spiritual jewel. The road to Emmaus. Two disciples walking along. Very sad. Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And after all, Thousands, yes, hundreds of thousands of Jews from many countries had come to Jerusalem, had seen the triumphal entry of Jesus, seen the crucifixion events, and were amazed at the things that had happened. You remember when Jesus died, the sky was darkened supernaturally. There was a great earthquake. The veil was rent from top to bottom in the temple. People came out of their graves after Jesus rose and walked around Jerusalem. Even the centurion said, this was the Son of God. What an amazing series of events took place that day, dear friend. And so uh, Jesus came along in his glorified body, looking like an ordinary person, and he approached and began traveling with them. You know, I'd like to stop and think about that. Traveling with them. That's what he's doing today, friend, if you are a believer. He's traveling with you. He's wanting to talk to you. He listens to your prayers. He's the, he's the friend greater than any friend in this world. He's the light of God in our heart and mind. So today, he's traveling with us too. But on that occasion, look at verse 16. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. This was God's supernatural protection from them being overwhelmed by his glorious presence so that they could tell him the full story of their concern that we could learn what people were thinking at that time and that place. Now, he said to them, Jesus said to these two, 
What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? That's, in other words, we can't, you can't be serious. You don't know what's happening. Everyone knows about Jesus of Nazareth. And then they begin to describe him. Listen to this, verse 19. And he said, what things? As if he didn't know. He wants to, them to tell him what their thinking was about Jesus of Nazareth. And they said to him, why the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. Well, that was a wonderful testimony, wasn't it? But it wasn't enough. They didn't know that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. They didn't know who he really, really was. Everybody knew he was a great prophet, a great miracle worker. Yes, John the Baptist uh, bowed before him. Yes, but now notice, they said the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. Oh, really? I thought the Romans crucified him. You see, they put the blame exactly where it belonged. It was not the Romans. It was the Jews that delivered him over to the Romans to crucify him. And the Jews were the ones that were responsible. You remember the Gospels tell us that they told Jesus, may your curse be upon us and our children. And I say, amazing, amazing what happened as a result of that. Yes, Israel was responsible for the crucifixion of their own king, their own savior, their own Messiah. And so sad is verse 21. They went on to say to Jesus, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping it was going to, but now he's dead, so he can't be the Messiah. And it's been three days, see, since all this happened. So he's not come back from the dead. I guess he's just gone forever. We're so sad. Isn't that pitiful? Absolutely pitiful. Especially when you read the next couple verses, when they went on to explain that some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body and they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and some of those who were with us, namely Peter, you remember, and John, went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. Amazing that these two disciples would not say, well, of course, maybe he rose like he said he was going to. They, need, they couldn't comprehend. Oh, yes, at the end of the world, they were sure that someday Messiah would come but that Jesus would appear suddenly after three short days in a glorified body they could not comprehend. Of course, it's easy for us, friends, 2,000 years later to look back after 2,000 years of church history and say, well, of course, if I were there, I would have believed, I would have understood. Not really, not really. So then they received this gentle rebuke from Jesus. Listen carefully. Here's our main idea here. Are you ready? Oh, foolish men and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Now listen to this. And beginning with Moses, those are the first five books of the Old Testament, and with all the prophets, that's the rest of the Bible, of the Old Testament Bible, the only Bible they had then, he explains to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Oh, how much we'd give to have a tape recording of that talk, wouldn't we? some kind of a, but we don't need it because we have the whole Old Testament, all 39 books. And I say, Lord, I take that rebuke to myself. I too 
am a foolish person, slow of heart to believe all. I, I, I not only don't believe all the prophets said, I don't even know what they said. That's my guilt. I, I confess that. I've studied, read the Bible for years, but I don't really know it as I should. It doesn't dominate, control, influence my life as it should. Lord, help me. Help me to be the kind of disciple that honors you. Yes, help each of us, Lord, to become the kind of disciple that will bring you the greatest glory. We certainly want to honor our Lord during this month of Thanksgiving. Whitcomb Ministries invites you to join us at facebook.com slash Ministries, where we'll remind you of more reasons to express gratitude this Thanksgiving season. Our theme verse is Hebrews 13, verse 15. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. We'll share those sacrifices of praise between now and Thanksgiving, and we invite you to join us. Here on Encounter God's Truth, we have so many reasons to give thanks to the Lord, and we're being reminded of them as we listen to this classic message from our founder and teacher, Dr. John Whitcomb, who is now with the Lord. So, let's hear more of his lesson called, The First Gospel. And so, verse 28, as they approached the village where they were going, he acted as though he would go farther, and they urged him, saying, Stay with us, abide with us, don't go away. For it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. He waited for them to invite him. He didn't push himself upon them, notice that. And he went in and stayed with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Immediately they saw something. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. There was something about maybe maybe they saw the nail prints in his hands. We don't know about that. They recognized that maybe that's the kind of miracle he performed when he fed the 5,000. He broke the bread and, and blessed it. And I say, Lord, thank you for that little token, that evidence of his mercy, his love for people to meet them at their deepest level of need. And so their eyes were opened and they saw who Jesus really, really was. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Dear friend, is that what, you, is that what your heart is like? When you read his word, is something within you, just like Jeremiah chapter 20, he said, Jeremiah said, I resigned from the ministry. I'm tired of being hated and persecuted. But, but then all of a sudden, it was like a burning fire within my heart. I couldn't restrain. I could not restrain. Something in us responds to the Holy Spirit of God when he speaks to us through his word. You know why? Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerner of the thoughts and of the heart. No one, no one is not open, naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's God's precious, powerful, written, inspired revelation, the Bible. So that very moment, they returned to Jerusalem, all those seven miles, they rushed back to Jerusalem, found gathered together the 11, the apostles and those that were with them, saying, the Lord has, has really risen and has appeared to Simon. That's to Peter. Now, Paul talks about that appearance to Peter. We don't read about anywhere else. 1 Corinthians 15, 5, he appeared to Peter. Peter, who denied him and cursed, Jesus made a special appearance just to Peter. Maybe Peter wasn't there at that moment. 
when it says the eleven, we know that Thomas wasn't there either. According to the Gospel of John, the eleven means the group of disciples who were not just disciples, but a special group of men called apostles. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them by the breaking of the bread. And I say, Lord, what an amazing episode that those two on that road were witnessing to the apostles. They believed because they saw and experienced themselves the glorified body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friend, we have some challenges before us, don't we, here? In order to avoid being accused by Jesus of being fools and slow of heart, we, do, we have to do what? We have to believe all the prophets have spoken, beginning with Moses in the book of Genesis, and through all the prophets we have to understand what God said and what he meant by what he said in order to be able to understand God's plan for the ages. Yes, beginning with the creation of the world in Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God, he told us in Genesis chapter 3 the exact words he uttered to Satan concerning Satan's destiny. Listen to this. The Lord God said to the serpent, that Satan who had deceived Eve, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than any beast of the field. On your belly shall you go and the dust shall you eat all the days of your life. That's to the animal that Satan uses as instrument, of course. But then he spoke directly to Satan who was behind that serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now there's no enmity between humans and animals, friends. That has never been God's plan. But between Satan and humans, yes. And the good news for Adam and Eve is that they're going to be shown who their enemy really was, Satan. He was not a friend. He was an enemy. Do you know that, friend, today? That he's out to deceive you, to trap you, to entice you, to tempt you. But listen to this promise. God said to Satan, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now, your seed, Satan's seed, would be every child that's ever been born. Born of that evil one, like the first baby ever born, Cain, who murdered his brother. But notice this. He shall bruise you on the head. Who's that? The seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. The descendant of Eve. Now, she may have thought it was her first child, Cain, but it wasn't. It was a descendant, namely Jesus. He will bruise you on the head. Now, that's a fatal blow to a serpent to have his head crushed. But in the process, look what Satan would do to Jesus. You shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, he will die. He'll be killed. But in John 12, Jesus said, Now is the prince of this world cast out. And Satan was cast out as what? As the final victor, champion of world history. So he was sentenced to destruction by the Lord Jesus through the price that Jesus would pay on that cross, which would result in Satan's head being crushed. And, and friends, even though Satan now is still like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, his doom is sure and certain, and his extension of life has been permitted by God for purposes that will go on even to the end of the thousand-year kingdom, after which he'll be released for a brief season to accomplish one more purpose of God, to give men a final choice, that's it, in every age, every dispensation. Men, not robots, men with image and likeness of God have a choice to make. Do you love God or Satan? Do you love the Lord or yourself? You must choose the one you really, really love. And so I say, Lord, thank you for that opening 
prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 that helps me see the whole program of God through the ages beginning to unfold. It was a cryptogram. Yes, we know that Adam and Eve didn't fully comprehend what it meant. We don't even fully comprehend, but now with the New Testament and the full work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and his judicial defeat of Satan on that great occasion, we can see that God had a gracious, loving purpose in sending the Savior to save us from the penalty of our sin and to defeat our unseen, invisible enemy forever. God has a gracious, loving purpose to save us, which was revealed all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and you're listening to Encounter God's Truth with Dr. John Whitcomb. Our mission is to reinforce that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. Listen to our program anytime at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. And you can always find that link at whitcombministries.org. Now, Dr. Whitcomb, as we move toward Thanksgiving, I wonder if you would share from your own heart about your purpose in teaching the Bible on the radio here on Encounter God's Truth. Friends, I cannot find anywhere in the Bible anything about retirement from the ministry. So even though I'm in my higher 80s, I want to keep on keeping on for the Lord Jesus Christ until he calls me home to glory in his mercy. And that's a great commission for all of us, isn't it? Yes, Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of Matthew to his church, his body, his bride, that includes every born-again Christian in the world, friends, every one of us. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this, please teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, this is an impossible command for a mere human being to fulfill. To master the whole Bible and to tell everyone in the world everything God said in this holy scripture, impossible. That's the answer we should give because God expects us to depend on him and him alone to enable us to fulfill this magnificent Great Commission. The answer to the impossibility response is what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If we think we can do this by our skill, our education, our dedication or something, we are sadly mistaken and are setting ourselves up for disaster. Jesus says, trust me, I am with you. I will do it through you. That's the way we're sanctified too, isn't it? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul said to the Philippian church. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. This is what we call synergism, God and men working together. So I say thank you, Lord, for helping me to understand the significance, the the tremendous power of that great commission you gave to your church in the last verses of the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, we know to your friends, don't we, the Apostle Paul had his, his version of the great commission. You therefore, my son, he said to to Timothy, his favorite disciple, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So something is going to require strength here. What is it? The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul said to Timothy, these, not just some of these things, are the most popular things or easiest things. These entrust to faithful men, not to everyone, who will be able to teach others also. Now, friends, this commission that the Apostle Paul gave to his favorite disciple, Timothy, 
was not easy for Timothy to obey and fulfill. So that's why Paul started, you remember, in verse 1, he said, My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But notice this verse 3 that follows this commission. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Yes, it may take suffering. It may take discipline to mastermind everything God told to Paul that he told to Timothy that Timothy was to give to faithful men. It may take time and effort and struggle and difficult circumstances. And I say, Lord, thank you for that wonderful challenge that Paul gave as a what? A supplement of the great commission that Jesus gave to us in Matthew 28. And so, friends, I have to cut back on many distractions, like many, many trips here and there, much travel, and to focus more on radio ministry now. And I say thank you, Lord, for that opportunity now to clarify, to explain, to interpret, I trust correctly, the precious things you've entrusted to us so that people everywhere may benefit from the sound, careful teaching of the whole Word of God. And I say thank you, Lord, for the great treasures we do find in your precious and fallible Word. Indeed. Thanks, Dr. Whitcomb. Next time, we'll continue viewing Christ in the Scriptures. Until then, stay in touch with us at WhitcombMinistries.org. And we end today with the opening words of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. (laughs) 